I think young people are very, um, for the lack of a better term, very opinionated. They're sort of like in their zone and that's it. And I think somehow in order for you to change that point of your perspective, it has to be done in a way that's very clever, in a way that's on their terms. When I was trying to understand the Catholic Church better, uh, I responded better when I developed my own intellect in a way that was affirming what the Church has been saying all the while. How do we help people experience the Church in a new and exciting way? Can vibrant and modern expressions of faith serve as tools to bring others closer to God? In this week's episode, film and music producer and founder of Array of Hope, Mario Costabil, shares how the Holy Spirit always finds new ways to inspire evangelization inside and outside the Church. The Holy Spirit hasn't placed on my heart to make a, a compelling um, argument and, and make them think that they're going to change their mind. All they have, all we have to do is make them doubt what their position can potentially be wrong. So, And then the Holy Spirit will work in them. So that's what we do as a ray of hope. We invoke a lot of truths in a way that is very riveting, very challenging, but not making them feel uncomfortable or accusatory of what they might be doing in their lives. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a fine line. We're all called to discover new means of sharing the gospel and to help others experience God's love in beautiful and personal ways. This is Living the Call. Mario Costabil, welcome to the show. Thank you. So great to have you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And, you know, coincidence, stars aligned, right? I mean, yes, you happen to be did. in town. What are you in town for? A couple of things. Uh, my uh, Three of my kids live out in L.A., so my daughter was involved in uh, producing her first gala. She owns a nonprofit. Oh, very uh, cool. And uh, I was doing other stuff regarding to Array of Hope out here as well. So I like to hit a multiple of birds with uh, one stone. It's called concentric uh, purposes, <laughs> right? Or uh, cross purposes, yes. that, that kind of trip. Yes, yes. So, um, you know, you're a musician, video producer, director. You've worked for all the big secular players, MTV, VH1, Discovery, Sci-Fi, Def Jam, one of my favorites. Um, but you've also had a lot of experience and currently do a lot of work with Catholic media entities. And there was a moment I can imagine where there must have been a transition from this kind of secular world into this sort of more religious space. Are you still working with secular players or mostly just with Catholic folks? Every, once, every once in a while, but it's very rare. I don't, I don't have much time to do that anymore. I'm really devoted completely to the work of uh, the church and our organization, Array of Hope, so it takes up a lot of time. And I love yeah. the premise of Array of Hope, right? And that's array as in arrange, right? A-R-R-A-Y, right. not A-Ray of Hope. Right, correct. But um, the, the whole premise, at least as I understand it from our brief conversation, was this notion that qualitatively, right, the type of stuff that's out in the world that's Christian or maybe specifically Catholic, historically, even though we've got like the best stories in the world to tell, are not really done in a way that's striking and beautiful and like like awe-inspiring, like mm -hmm. a lot of these kind of, you know, video productions and secular works kind of be. Maybe somewhat in the Protestant space, you see a little bit of that. Right. But there was, you know, at least part of your premise is you want to bring that that beauty and that sort of, you know, I don't know what word to use here, but that sort of gr productional gravitas mm -hmm. to the experience as well. Is that? Like yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you want to make it relevant. You want to make it, uh, you know, attractive. And you want to make it in the sense that uh, it's what it's on par to what they experience in the secular world. So the quality has got to be great. 
So uh, if you can meet all that criteria and you kind of draw them in and you entertain them initially, uh, then you reveal the teachings of the church. So they've already kind of gained your respect, per se, because if, if the qualities really inferior to the message, you're never going to get to the message. So the, the quality has to be really up there. The conduit has to be great, Yeah, you know, in order for people to receive it, especially today. I mean, the young people today are, you know, they're, 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 they see a lot of stuff, you know, so we have to find ways to be attractive. We have to find a, a ways to bring them in. Now, um, do you, is, is your work principally around, you know, there's like events and things and things that you bring to life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, is it also, have you also done things that are more narrative? Well, sure. Um, it started out as a multimedia event concert. So it's a two and a half hour show that we put together that uh, involves music, a mm-hmm. lot of music, uh, witness, and then we have these kind of transitional videos that go from one topic to the next, although there's constant music and video playing simultaneously. So um, my background is producing concerts and music and film, and I kind of brought that all together to for an experience. Yeah, It's kind of like Steubenville on steroids in your local gymnasium kind of a thing. Nice. And then it grew. You know, Then we started to create, you know, people really loved the films that we were showcasing at, at our events. And they say, well, where can I get that film? And we got the idea, well, maybe we can share these films outside of the concert. Concert, and then create new ones. And then we developed this whole other area where we created these films and bits of hope and all kinds of narratives and, and topics that really um, share the beauty of the faith in a way that's riveting and can, you know attractive. It's actually something that's happening quite a bit in the secular world now, these kind of immersive experiences. You know, there's a terminology of experiential that's mm-hmm. been kind of coined of, it's of recent vintage, but about having these multi-layered kind of in-person experiences. Right. You've got video, you've got audio, you've got a live event, you've got a variety of different things happening simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely is playing right into yeah. what I think a lot of young people are, are, are experiencing now. Well, you know, as young people, you know, you, you kind of, if you don't grab their attention, you lose it in about three seconds. So we have to try every way we can visually to stimulate them with the audio, with the visual, you know, to keep them engaged, you yeah. know, or else you lose them. And uh, we've been successful at that. You know, it's been something that uh, we've developed over the years, and you've always got to be updating your presentation and, and your equipment and, and the and how it's, you know, conveyed technologically, uh, but it's exciting and it's fun. How do you get to, I mean, to tell us a little bit about that transition from when you were doing this, you know, successful kind of secular music video mm. career and you're kind of at that level and then next thing you know you're doing this work. I mean, on some level the tools might be similar, but the content is a completely different experience. How does that happen? Uh, well, for me it happened over you know, a course of time. It was uh, from beginning to completion about 10 years. So Mm. um, I had a recording studio in New Jersey, very successful recording studio. We did uh, a lot of TV and radio production there. We did uh, an array of different kinds of music. Um, And within that context, I got the idea to, it was inspired to create a ray of hope. And and it started in in that studio, in that small studio. Uh, And then over a period of time, it transitioned when I closed that studio and we got our own studio. But to answer your question, um, it actually started with um, me producing Christian music, which I'd never done before. Mm. I was working with a band. I spent a lot of time in Nashville. I said, well, how do you learn about Christian music? Well, you go to the 
to the capital of Christian music, which is in Nashville. I was just there last and, week. Yeah, I was there a couple of weeks ago. And it's um, it was great because I got to meet and, and worship and spend some time with Mercy Me, Casting Crowns, Amy Grant, Toby Mack, you know, Chris Tomlin, all these artists I never knew. Hmm. Uh, but, I mean, they're really well-known uh, sure. artists in Christian music. And I was blown away by the talent, the ability, the way they worship, the quality of their worship. And it was at that time where it was kind of culminating with my own sort of journey and seeking and trying to understand God better as I got older in life. And it was at that moment where the Lord literally just hit me over the head when I said, you know, I wish Catholics evangelized like this, where it was really exciting and drew people toward the to church. Why don't we? Well, well, we, we're starting to. We're starting to. I mean, when I was, you know, when I heard the calling, you know, that was the first step for me to to share the faith in a way that was riveting and exciting and drew them in. I don't know why. I think what happened over the years is that we've been really lazy. Hmm. I think that um, the Catholic Church just uh, expects people to go to Mass, you know, and just expects people to show up. But I think, as we all know, the church is in crisis. People are living leaving by the thousands. We have to change the way we evangelize and spread the good news. And uh, there are lay apostolates that are doing that, and, and we're one of them. We, 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 have to be, uh, uh, we have to be proactive, or else it's just not, it, people are not gonna come back to church. And, and what we're doing is that, you know, as our evangelical brothers were sharing the faith and making it very exciting, I hate to say this, but we have this extra thing. We have the sacraments, we mm-hmm. have the tradition, we have you know, the beauty of 2,000 years of the Catholic Church that we can share. So the idea is, of Ray of Hope is that we bring that excitement, enthusiasm that other denominations are using, uh, but then we, you know, we bring in the tradition and the beauty of Mass and the importance of the sacraments and how they offer supernatural healing and, and supernatural grace, really, um, that most people don't understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, as a deacon, you know, most of us are under catechized, and and uh, you know, young adults that are forming their own families have very little formation. So their kids have no formation, are completely reliant on CCD programs, which Yikes. you know you don't even know where they're going. Exactly, right. I didn't want to say it, but I'm That's glad right. you did. I can, I can. You know, you're you're in the. I got the clergy pass. <laughs> so it's um, you know, it's really challenging, but it's it's also a very very exciting time. Mm. Um, because uh, we have these new uh, apostolates uh, as ourselves that are really thinking about outside the box, thinking about new ways to reach the church and the culture. Yeah, I definitely have heard. I mean, a ray of hope has hit my screen on a number of different occasions mm. from a number of different people, and so much so that when you know when I saw your name come up uh, most recently, I was like, yeah, we need to. I need to have the conversation with Mario and find out a little bit more about it. The, the, the crazy irony for me is that when you look at those 2,000 years of history mm. that the church has to rely on, and all of that, yes, of course, there's great catechetical depth and historical depth and, you know, great sculptors and scientists and everybody else. But we also have an extraordinary uh, artistic patrimony and a, mus- and a musical patrimony, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. almost like we woke yeah. up in the 20th century and we're like, yeah, we we're going to just like not have that anymore. So I've always been baffled by the same dynamic that you kind of woke up to. Uh, in your studio, uh, that, you know, we've got the greatest story to tell, or among the greatest stories to tell, and yet when we convey them, generally speaking, at least for people who know what this can be, and you, somebody like you, and somebody like me, I've spent 20 plus years in media, you're kind of left with this popular rendition of something, and you kind of go, wah, wah. it's just so, it doesn't rise to the quality of what the content 
demands and is. And I always wondered about that, you know, um, why that was. I can imagine, I don't know if this is true, so you'll tell me, that is some issue about this, a kind of philosophical thought that anything that is performative is somehow less is or like what's the hang-up that to the extent people say this is why we're not going to do this what is that thing is it we don't want to conform to the times too much because we're then we're abandoning the sort of purity of the faith like i'm glad you brought this up so yeah you know uh, i wouldn't say we've been accused but some people will say well you know know, what are you what are you trying to do you're trying to keep people not going to church because it's of your events and what you're doing is no no on the contrary we're the conduit we're the excitement that wants to draw people back to the church to Mm. the beauty of the mass um so you know we got to use every means possible to be attractive as a religion as a church uh, but then we get you know once we once we get them in the, into the church and experience mass then it's really you know the clergy that have to bump it up as well we have to bump up our homilies we have to bump up you know our fellowship we have to bump up you know being welcoming yeah. uh, and and that's a whole nother thing that the lord hasn't placed on my heart maybe that's placed on your heart mm. uh, but i know that my mission uh the array of hope mission is really to to make people point blank doubt their beliefs of what who God is. So mm. when I say doubt, um, we're not the Holy Spirit hasn't placed on my heart to make a, a compelling um, argument and and make them think that they're going to change their mind. Right. All they have, all we have to do is make them doubt what their position can potentially be wrong. So and then the Holy Spirit will work in them. So that's what we do as a ray of hope. We invoke a lot of truths in a way that is very riveting, very challenging, but not making them feel uncomfortable or accusatory of what they might be doing in their lives. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a fine line. And, and I found, you know, when I was drawing my, when I was trying to understand the Catholic church better, uh, I responded better when I developed my own intellect in a way that was affirming what the church has been saying all the while. And I, I realized that a lot of people felt the way I did, and I just don't, didn't understand the teachings of the church, or I didn't understand yeah, neither did I. It, what the sacraments did, or sure. who they came from, or why they're even here. So if you can make, if you could present those teachings in a, in a way that's relevant to some, and makes sense, because as you know, you know, the Lord has placed a desire in all our human hearts to be in union with him, to be in communion with him. So we, half the, half the battle's already, one right all we have to do is tap into that source yeah tap into the 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 soul that is made of god's love and that's what a ray of hope has always been doing we 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 figured that out that if we could just get in there pry it open let the lord speak a little bit to their heart the holy spirit will engage it and work in them it's It's really that's it's really cool too because i mean what you're saying is in a way we already we're already victorious, right? It's just Amen. it's just kind of discovering yeah. some elements of that victory. But the approach that you just described, even though this may not be a good example, but um, Pope Francis in, I think it was an Evangelii Gaudium, which is one of his uh, apostolic exhortations, I think it was. One of um, the earlier ones. One of the earlier ones, mm-hmm. one of the very first ones. Yeah. He talked about something called the creative apologetics. And it was transmitting and explaining the faith, but doing it in new ways, Mm -hmm. right? Because, and by new, I kind of took as maybe non-sort of intellectual first, not didactic, not like talking head, Mm -hmm. learning person, but, you know, maybe doing it in different ways. And and by the way, in in a true sense, none of these are brand new. It's not like we just minted them. 
you go back a thousand years, maybe somebody who's evangelizing in a country that's never seen Christians would approach it with a variety of different creative ways. The, the famous story of St. Patrick using the four-leaf clover to mm-hmm. kind of, or the three-leaf clover to sort of explain the Trinity and all that. That, in a way, is a way of creative apologetics, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than sending somebody down and here's a catechism and right. all that kind of stuff. So the way that I hear what you're saying is along those lines of this kind of creative apologetic, which kind of ultimately leads somebody maybe to the same place, but just does it in a different way. Am yeah. I am I onto something? Is that close? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Yes, I mean that's that that's how we do it. We we create um, and affirm um, people's struggles and yeah. experiences. That you know, you're not alone. We're all we're all wounded. We're all on this journey together. We're all. Uh, part of the you know original sin and and, and what comes with that mm-hmm. uh, but we give them really a, an opportunity to be healed mm. or the potential of understanding that you know we're all together in this and there's healing and once you discover that healing and the joy that it brings to your life you're never going to want to go back allow me to show you that allow me for you to experience one minute of that, and then you're on your own. Mm. And when we do that, it's very compelling to people. And, and we do that in our concerts. We do a lot of confirmation retreats now. And, and you know, 13-year-olds are the toughest ones to, <laughs> at least in, in the Northeast, tough 13, 14. They're a tough crowd. But, you know, you, we find different techniques. We find ways to, um, you know, with through humor, through music, through interacting, through, in, you know, engaging them, uh, trivia games, uh, they experience the love that we're exuding to them. Mm. And then we'll tell them, look, you know, we're joyful because of God. So do you want some of that? Yeah. yeah. And oftentimes they don't even need to ask. People go like, I do want some yeah, of that. Yeah. It's like, I see it yeah. in you. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes contagious. And I think that's the best way we, we can really evangelize today. Be an example, uh, offer uh, something that they're desiring because we all desire this, whether they realize it or not. Mm. You talked about healing, too, which I think is a really important principle. And I do agree with you that all of us carry around some element of woundedness. And, um, you know, we, we understand that the path to that healing is by having a relationship with Jesus. Going back a bit, because I know from our earlier conversation that healing played some role in your walk as well. Um, and maybe there's been a number of different moments along that journey. Mm. But the transition from your kind of secular professional kind of just hammering it and having all the success to where you are now did not happen sort of overnight. Right. And, it, and it, there were moments of inflection along that journey. You articulated for me a few of those. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about them. Yeah, I mean, you know, the God, uh, God had, had been, is, has been, and still is, been working in my life, you know, from the get-go. You know, um, I was born uh, Catholic, you know, uh, married uh, very young with my wife, and she was Catholic, and we tried, we have five kids, mm-hmm. uh, like yourself. Yep. Uh, we did our best at that time because we were both, you know, uh, very under-catechized, not very formed very well, but we, we had, a, we had a, a, something in our heart that we wanted to raise our kids Catholic. Uh, so we did, uh, and they went into grammar school and Catholic high school, and even some of them went to Catholic college. Um, but you know, during life, there 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 are moments uh, that I could recognize, and I think it happens in everyone's life, is that you know God is always calling us, and there's always a road and decisions and choices that are made, and depending upon where you are in your relationship with God, some of those decisions are good, and some of those decisions are bad, and sometimes. Um, God will be very blatant, and he mm. had in my life where he says, well, you can go on down down that road, which it looks like you're going down, and that's not going to be very good for you, or I could put something in your path. And he did that to me a couple times. <laughs> like uh, in my early 30s, I 
got diagnosed with cancer and it was mm. really bad and it was pretty severe and and uh, I went through some troubling times and it was sort of like the first you know I was on the fast track you know a self-employed musician trying to be successful trying to prove it to my my father who was that's a whole nother relationship a whole nother dynamic a whole nother dynamic you got young kids at that time yeah I'm sure. I had young kids had three young kids so you know and and uh, I was um, really not you know uh, being um well, as, as I share with you, I wasn't really going down the right path. And I think if I kept going down that path, I probably would have been bad and destroyed myself in a way and my family at that. So, you know, I got cancer, you know, and then there was other things that happened in my life when I was when I was challenged about my faith and uh, trying to grow closer to God. As I hit my 50s, I would challenge, you know, myself and say, well, if you know, if God, if you're real, prove it to me, you know, and that that's always been very interesting in people's lives, right? So there are a lot of moments, Charlie, in in um in my life where I, I've always kind of been challenged and things got in my way and, and kind of steer me. And I, I, I owe that all to God and just, just the, his ability to love me so much that he would alter my life uh, through his permissive will, allow things that maybe weren't the which I felt weren't the best for me at that moment, but it really, in the long term, it were. I mean, I always say I live my life forward, but I understand it backward. It's mm. like, oh, that's why that happened. Sure. Or that's why I was with that client, and I learned how to do that, because now I'm doing it here with a ray of hope. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I think if we all just step back a little bit and realize, you know, and look at our lives, we could learn a lot from our experiences. When you were in your 30s and you um, got diagnosed with cancer, what was your take on what was happening at a supernatural level then? Were you thinking this is like, why are you doing this to me? Were you was God in the picture at all? How, how are you envisioning this? Yeah, I had an interesting relationship because I was involved. I was involved in in the youth ministry and I, I played guitar, so I would play you know masses and the folk masses. So I was sort of like superficially involved in church, but I wasn't connected. Like mm. I wasn't really you know, connected to God in any way. So when that happened, I guess my mindset was like, whoa, this is, this is, this is crazy. Um, I mean, to, you know, it, it's spreading, it spread to my diaphragm and, it was, mm. you know, it was in my lift nodes. And it's like, all right, well, God, I did ask, you know, why are you doing this? You know, what, what's going on? You know, I never really um, got angry at him, which I was, I'm surprised now in hindsight, but I was really, um, uh, I, I was really taken back that it was happening to such a young, like I felt like I was Superman. You, and you're, you know, I think I was 31 years old. I'm yeah. saying, you know, how could this happen to me? You mm-hmm. know, um, but I, 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 I didn't have any kind of um, sort of uh, uh, supernatural experience, or I didn't have any kind of, um, you know, wherewithal to think that, uh, you know, this is something that I deserved or needed from God. I just felt that. As time progressed, and I did realize shortly thereafter, I said, well, this kind of prevented this from happening. And I was, in a way, happy about it. And then I recovered. I was a young man. I recovered within a year and, you know, back on track. But you consciously at that time were thinking, or or did did you only recognize in the rearview mirror what this was or had done for you? Or was there some sense as you were going through it? I need to draw closer to God. I need to have more of a faith life. I guess that's what I'm asking. Yeah, it took it took much longer. You yeah. know, you know, I I think it that was sort of like the roadblock that changed my trajectory at that moment. But then there was another ten more years of, you know, going through other things and you know various struggles that always brought me back to God. And then um, there was an experience where. Um, uh, I was very close to my mom. I don't know if I should share this with you. I was very close to my mom, and uh, she got 
terminally ill. Mm. And it was at around the same time when I was trying to, you know, when I hit my 50s, I didn't have a midlife crisis, but I certainly had a crisis of faith. I really started challenging God and say, look, you know, if you're real, like, you got to show me. Or, um, you know, I'm not on board with your sacraments here and and what they do, and I need to understand you better. Mm. And um, I did get the wherewithal and the grace to uh, have a desire to read and develop my intellect, which was really helpful. Uh, but then there was this thing with my mom that um, I, I made a deal with God, and I said, look, you know, God, my, my mom was everything. I was raised by my mom. I had difficulty with my father, first-generation Italian. He was a very, very hard man, difficult man to live with. My wife's Italian, so uh, I know. So you know the deal. Just from proximity, but yeah, <laughs> no personal experience. And um, so I, my deal with God was that, look, you know, Lord, uh, I want you to spare my mom, you know, because she was, you know, terminally ill, and uh, and I'll go to church every day. So that was my deal. And I think I was, I think I was maybe fifty years old or somewhere around there. I said, um, okay, no, I was even younger. I was probably about forty-five, forty-six, forty-seven, something like that. So uh, that was my deal, and I started going to daily mass. And um, you know, one month went by, two months went by, three months went by, and my mom. You know, was okay, but then she started getting really worse, and then about six or seven months into it, she passed away. Uh, but I, I was changing, and something was happening with me. I was able to deal with my mom's death, uh, which I never thought I'd be able to do. Mm. Um, but I felt something internally that was changing, and I had a desire to want to go to mass every day, which I didn't have. I was doing it because I had a deal with God, and now I'm like, I need to go to mass. And then as I started developing my intellect and reading, and I was reading you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, Peter Crave, you know, Scott Hahn. I mean, I was reading everybody and anybody, the, the church fathers, just that, you know, I was like absorbing everything. And I realized, oh, wow, maybe, maybe the sacraments are real. You know, maybe the grace that you receive, the supernatural ability to go beyond yourself or to, or to, to, um, to sense and have a, a strength that is beyond what you can muster yourself is real. Mm. And then I started to see things with clarity. I started to understand things that normally, or I, I would I have extra sense of patience or compassion with people. I was like, so to make a long story short, as you already know, it's like, you know, then I became reliant on receiving the sacrament. I re- became reliant on receiving the bread of life, uh, because that was what was filling me and giving me the gasoline I needed. And then when I started A Ray of Hope, I realized, you know, in order for me to do what I do and to to, to be, uh, uh, um, you know, a, a warrior within the church, to be the church militant, I need power. I need supernatural power behind me. I can't do it. I can't do it by myself. So, you know, I try to be a daily communicant as much as possible. When I'm traveling, it's difficult, although I went a couple times in Los, uh, Los Angeles. Um, but then, you know, and, and my biggest hang-up was confession. So, you know, I got That's over— my wife's, too. She's yeah. a convert, by the way. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I got over that. And, and then, you know, again, there were things that happened in my life, you know, that, like, you know— it became obvious as to why there's confession and, and why these sacraments were instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you know, so uh, I don't know if I answered your question. You did. Yeah. No, no, no. It's great. Yeah. Look, by the way, it's your show. I didn't mention it to you. So whatever you want to talk mm-hmm. about is cool with me. Mm-hmm. You also talked about permissive will. And it's 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 interesting to use that kind of terminology. So I can tell that you're you're very adept. At, your reading has, has led you to uh, to some of this terminology. But the reality of it is, is that nothing under the sun happens without God's knowledge, right? Right. right. And he'll allow us to make oftentimes yeah. 
different or wrong decisions because there's something good in it for us ultimately. Exactly. And the idea of being a daily communicant is like, well, I'm doing it because I'm making a deal with you, which mm -hmm. obviously is maybe the wrong approach to do. But the net result is over that period of time, as your mom was sick, you're receiving these graces. That's right. And your eyes are opening up, your spirit's kind of waking up, and it's in a way giving you precisely what you would need when your mom would pass, right? right. So the great irony of God that <laughs> here he is allowing you to do this deal-making with him, right? right? But because he knows he this kn is an end that you need. That's right. Yeah, it, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, you want to say, yeah, it's brilliant. Well, yeah, he is God. It's yeah, brilliant. He's I mean, pretty it's smart. Like, he's pretty smart. So it's just amazing. I'm, all, I'm always like just amazed by how God's plan and the puzzle of the way he um, manipulates the pieces in my life and others' lives just are beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful when you can really look at it. Like, you know, we, like, even now I'm having some struggles with some of my kids and, and, I, and I know, you know, as a parent and, you know, my wife and I, we struggle, you know, like they're not doing the right thing. They really should be doing this or, you know, how can we get them? It's like, you know, God's got God's this. God's got it. God's got it. So we have to trust just like we needed guidance and we needed to test the waters and we needed to learn ourselves we have to, all we can do is pray mm. as parents you know we just have to get down on our knees and pray and ask the lord to put people in their lives or ask the lord to guide them or invoke enough desire for them to recognize you know god's will of the holy spirit so it's like it's um it's just beautiful how god works and once you become once your eyes become open to that as you know um you don't see the world you see the world, you don't see the world like you once saw it. Yeah. It's very, very different. That's why I was talking about I had clarity. I saw things differently that I never recognized. I was aware of God doing work in people's lives when I would never even see it. And I would, the Holy Spirit would respond in, in, in me so I could talk to that person or share witness with that person and make a difference, you know? It's a weird thing, too, because in a way, it's hard to explain to someone what this clarity of vision really is, right? And by the way, I hope to God that my vision is clear. I'm, I'm assuming it can get much clearer, and it, w and it would, because I would probably answer the question the same way 10 years ago. I'd be like, oh yeah, I can see clearly, but I now look at myself 10 years ago going like, yeah, no. But it's kind of a, a hard thing to explain to people. It's almost like explaining to somebody you know, what thirsty feels like. It's like, well, we've all been thirsty, but unless you are thirsty at that moment, it's kind of hard to describe. Right. The catechism describes... Um, you know, when we live a life away from God, or we're not as close to God as we should, that it can tend to dull our intellect and our will. Literally, that is the language in the catechism, right? And this sense of like, one of my um, formation uh, facilitators described it at one time as like having a windshield, but it's like, it slowly gets kind of cloudy, right? Mm -hmm. It's like slowly gets stuff on it. And before you know it, you're kind of squinting, and you kind of can't see. But that's the net effect of a life sort of away from God. And a, and a, and a life close to God doesn't mean you're, you're, you get to avoid difficulties or avoid unpleasant trees. But it's just when they happen, you can see them clearly and you know how to actually contend with them because mm -hmm. you've got this supernatural grace, this armor that you talked about. But when somebody's away, right? So you talked about your kids. I have the same situation with some of my kids. But they're not in that same moment. They're not seeing the same way that you are. That's right. And the prayer, especially a parent's prayer, you know, can provide some of that grace so that they can get to that moment. But it's tough. Stop yeah. being a parent and going like, <laughs> you know, and it's then...
And then, of course, scripture comes into play, too, because we know the prophet has no honor in his own home, right? So if something you tell your kid right. is like, it goes right over their head, and then the mailman says, and it's like, oh, you know, I heard this genius thing. And it's like, wait yeah. a minute, I just told you that last Thursday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't that funny? You know, it's, uh, it's not easy being a parent, but it's also sometimes humorous. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you swallow your ego and your pride, and even if they learn it from some, something you've been saying a million times and then someone yeah. else says it, you know, say, okay, that's fine. Lord, I don't care however they get it. You also mentioned earlier uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, Peter Kraft. By the way, Peter Kraft is like one of my, I had the opportunity to meet Dr. Kraft one time. And mm. it was like, I've been around Hollywood for 20 years. I've met celebrities and they don't do a thing for me. I met mm. Peter Kraft and I was like, yeah, he's I was like a little Unbel- kid. You know what I mean? Uh, crazy. Where does that philosophical intellectual tradition where does that factor into young people today? In other words, we just talked about a ray of hope is like, it's this great performative layer and this amazing experience and all of that, in a way kind of counterbalancing it to that sort of academic or more philosophical tradition. But a lot of that has been important in your journey, the, the like learning of the faith, St. Thomas Aquinas, all this stuff. Where does that factor in now? Like, is that still important? Is it the way we present it that's different? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, where To young people, you mean? Yeah, and particularly for young people. I think... Um well, I think young people are very, um, uh, for the lack of a better term, very opinionated. They're sort of like in their zone, and that's it. Mm. And I think somehow in order for you to change that point of view or perspective, it has to be done in a way that's very clever, in a way that's on their terms. So uh, part of the way Rave Hope does it, even when I speak to people, I, I try to find the, the commonality in our discussions and invoke conversation that is around the subject that we want to talk about, let them talk about it. Mm. I find that the more that uh, the person that's combative or contrary in your belief, the more that they talk and share, then you can kind of just hear where they're at and then respond accordingly to what they're saying, but saying it in a way through witness or an example. So, you know, kind of affirming their life experiences. I, 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 find that, I find that that's really the best way that you can convey to uh, a young person because I, my experience is a lot of them are hostile to the faith because of the culture that they've been brought up in. Not in the sense that they hate God. It's just that they don't believe that he's real. You know, they don't believe that, uh, you know, he's there t- to save them and help them. You know, often we say it at a concert or a retreat or something like that and 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 you know, it, it changes from the beginning when we say it to the end when we actually share our stories. I mean, you, I mean, you know, you, you're, you're, you're sure you're doing homilies all the time. Stories and yeah. witness are the best way to continue. 100%. So you could, you know, we could be spewing apologetics and, and, and theology to a blue in the face. But if you share a story and say, you know what, that happened to me too. And you know what? I lost my best friend mm. or you know what I was on drugs for years and then you know I was living in the streets or whatever you know whatever that you can use that it was tragic in your life and talk about your story and how God was transformative that is the way to bring people toward the faith because as I mentioned earlier is that we're all broken we're all need healing yeah you know and once we could find out where the pain lies in people's heart uh, as an evangelist, that's where you go. I um, I uh, I got to share a story. So you know, being self-employed, I, I ran my own production company, and uh, 
early on in my career, I used to do a lot of events, and I even started an entertainment company where we were doing weddings and bar mitzvahs and all this stuff. And I'd say, you know, I say, well, you know, how do I, how do I? I'm not a salesman. How do I do this? You know. So I took a bunch of courses on how to become a salesman. It's always about like the clothes and and right. there's always these always books, be closing. Oh, the clothes. And there's always these books that were written by these car salesmen. You know, you got clothes <laughs> and you got did it. And then none of them ever worked. Right. But then I, I found this book by the uh, Sandler Sandler Sales Institute. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Never you know, heard of I'm it. Pitching that. I think they're still around. But the and it was like a I think it was a 12 week course. And you met and you sat in the classroom. They didn't talk about sales. They talked about the human um, uh, psyche. They talked about how people respond, how people react to pain, finding out what their, their pain is, sure. and they're responding to that with a solution. And you know, back then I'd say, oh, you know, you know, you you, you want this? I got the answer for you. And you always, the answer was in the context of how they present the pain in the first place. So it's never your idea. So I've always used that when I'm sharing or evangelizing the faith. I always use their words. I always use what their hang-up is and have some ownership on it because I experienced that as well. And then reveal some form of solution, always in the context of love. Hmm. And never be combative or um, accusatory or, um, you know, just uh, like a know-it-all. You know, because people just don't like that. Yeah, you know? they're going to tune you out. Yeah, so I, in answer your question, how do we convey that to young people? I think that is the way. And also with Ray of Hope, you know, peer-to-peer ministry is the way to go. I, You know, I could be talking to a 13-year-old telling blue in the face. They're not going to respond to me. But if they were, you know, when, I, when my young people on Ray of Hope, they're in their 20s, early 30s, and they share their faith, it's, it's powerful. Yeah, I'm always blown away when I think of like the times that I preach, um, and I I might maybe I don't know where I rank in terms of a typical deacon. I preach quite a bit. Um, Well, you're very well well spoken. Thank you. you. I appreciate that. Thanks be to God. Um, (laughs) You know, we all have gifts, right? Uh, But I, 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 um, when I do preach, the there's two kind of modalities that you know I feel I have the greatest uh, authority, authenticity to to kind of share. One of them is the fact that as a deacon, you're kind of the bridge between the church and the world, tapping into that sense of bridge, right? Um, when I preach about stuff that happened at work, mm-hmm. a conversation I had with a client, things like that, to me, I feel not just by way of commentary that I'll get from my preaching, but just a sense that I got, uh, I have when you, because you have an audience in a way in the congregation, yeah. I feel a greater sense of connection. You know, people that are, kind of seeing themselves reflected in what I'm saying because they all have jobs and they go to work or whatever. So that's one of them, this idea of bridge. The other one is, you know, to use your 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 point, storytelling. Now, I'm not like a raconteur. I'm not like the guy who can just riff this amazing story. I know guys like that and they're amazing. Mm-hmm. But just bringing in that that nugget, characters, people who've experienced things. In most cases, they're from real life that I've that I've gone through. But actually having that story with characters, with perspectives, people respond to that in a way that's different than a historical sermon or a catechetical sermon or whatever it may be. And look, that may be just a time and place thing where it's 2022 in the U.S., <clears throat> maybe 100 years from now it'll be something different, but it definitely feels like the kind of thing we need more of today, at least to me it does. And, you know, I think that 
I'm not suggesting everybody else should do that because everybody's got their own gifts. Yeah. But it's just something that I that I find uh, you Excuse know work. Me. No worries that that works uh, that works pretty well. You know for me, um, on a ray of hope. I mean, just so that people can have a sense of what maybe coming next Mario or what kind of big things that you're sort mm-hmm. of working on mm-hmm. and, and maybe just ways that they can find out more yeah. about what you're doing like what would you say what's on the horizon well I mean we're going back to live events which is really exciting we have uh, a bunch of events coming up this spring oh yeah uh, what happened during COVID well um, March of what was it uh, 2020, 2020 yeah we had about 40 events on the books and then they all went away and um, so what does an event organization do without any events? Uh, it was tough. But you know what? We, um, my career, I've always reinvented myself every five, six years. And um, I invoked the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? And uh, praise be to God, we developed this virtual platform, which allowed us to do our presentation virtually. Uh, it was a high, tall order because we have a lot of interactive component. We have music. We have a lot of stuff that was difficult to do virtually, but we were able to do it, and it was very successful. We um, September that year um, to the following March, we did under little under seventy virtual events in six months, wow. all over the country. Wow. Really powerful, which led us to understand that you know there's a market for that. Always, I think, even now when when we're going back to some normalcy, are people are still interested in doing that. And then we've developed this app and channel called Array of Hope, mm-hmm. which has all our movies and all our films, and we have uh, our virtual events on there. We also have live shows called Rise Up Live that happens once a week. It's like a Catholic variety show of of sharing and witness and music and behind the scenes footage, which is really it's really entertaining. Mm. Um, and that's where we're going. We're, we're going into, you know, creating an app. We found that a lot of, um, and a channel, a lot of people are always carrying their phones and it's, it's right there by their side. Everybody. So we're reaching them where they're at really. Um, so it's a combination of, you know, doing more live events because hopefully we're not going to get another strain of COVID and then, uh, you know, developing our app and channel and, and, and developing films and music that are transformative and, and really invoking the beauty of the faith. Where do you get, where's the source material for all this content? Is this stuff that you ideate, that you work with people to kind of produce? Like, where, does, where do the ideas come from? We have a team. Um, we, have a, we have three writers. Uh, I have a director of theology. Dr. David Heideck is our director of theology. Uh, we have a production team of four young men. Uh, we have a, a on-camera talent that I've cultivated. We have about 12 employees uh, and about three or four different subcontracted entities. And then we have our band. We have our praise and worship band, which I'm going to be launching a bunch of music this year. So, um, you know, we kind of we, we, we do a lot of our stuff in-house, although we're bringing in uh, and acquisitioning films from filmmakers. Uh, we have a nice relationship with the Knights of Columbus, and we're, we're, we're seeking a lot of other contacts of people that are bringing us films. So it's a, it's a little bit of a montage of all the above. And you'll and, and the films that you acquire, you're acquiring them for distribution on your platform or for further development if they're not like... No, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're looking for finished films mm-hmm. that we can put on our platform. Uh, and then we have a, a reciprocal arrangement that you know makes sense for them monetarily. Um, I've always been of the school that, uh, uh, although some Catholics, you know, uh, the Catholic mentality has always been like, you know, everything's for free. But I'm I'm from the secular business world. Yeah, you have to honor people. You have to pay people for their work and, and what they you know, what, the, what what it costs to produce. So uh, we're more than happy to work out those kinds of arrangements and, and, and uh, so they can benefit as well and continue to do what they're doing. For sure. Yeah. Before we get to our kind of final segment, Wait What, um, I wonder, there's a lot of people who listen to this show 
you know, who are maybe at a, at a stage in the journey that you were at, kind of, you know, business, secular background. By the way, I know mm-hmm. this. I've mentioned this on the show before, but I know this because I use a visualization tool that enables me to see the podcast diet of my listeners, and it's all over the place. I got people listening to NPR and business podcasts, oh, that's interesting. as well as Catholic, Christian, English, Spanish. I got, like, all different kinds of pockets. But my sense is there's a number of people who are in this sort sort of journey of, Living that kind of like you in your 30s, right? Like living that real secular life, that hustle, that grind, that kind of going up in the world, but maybe feeling like there's something missing. If you were talking to somebody in the creative world, okay, so, you know, content person, whatever it is, writer, producer, director, who's in that kind of camp, based on your experience, like what would you tell them about, you know, just about where they're at? And, and, and kind of what to think about at that stage in their life, knowing what you know now? Well, I, I would tell them the way I interview future production guys that work for me. So a, a lot of the guys that I, that I bring on to Array of Hope are very successful, creative guys. They're producers, editors. And the story has been unanimous. Uh, oh, man, I'm just producing this stupid junk. I, I, I hate doing this. or Because they, they know that what they're producing, will people will watch it and never watch it again. So I can't say that in all cases, but a lot of the people that do what I used to do is really, in a sense, mindless. It's kind of, it has one objective that's going to last maybe a week, and then that's the end of it. And I tell them, look, you know, um, I mean, we all want purpose in our life, right? Uh, We all want meaning. We want fulfillment. We want some sort of like, yeah, I did a great job, and and it's going to help people. Mm. So I think innately we all have that desire to help one another because... As we talked about earlier, we have a soul that was constructed by God himself in every one of us. That's right. So um, when you tap into that, everyone will agree, yeah, I'd like to do stuff that really makes a difference. I'd like to do. So that's what I would tell young people that, you know, I, I don't want to just, I mean, everyone's got to work. Everyone's got to make a, earn a living. And I, you know, I did a lot of that in my career. Uh, but I even say this to my kids that sometimes are struggling with their careers is that, look, the bottom line is that you have to be you have to find something that's going to make you happy. Um, I've even discouraged some uh, some of my friends say, why would you take a job that you know you're going to hate? Maybe you should develop your relationship with the Lord and trust a little bit that he's going to put you in a place that will give you the joy necessary to mm. develop a better relationship with him. Um, that's a hard one to to swallow if you have no relationship with him or lack the understanding of who God is. Um, so it's it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's like building a, a mountain. You, you got to build a mountain on rock, right? If you build it on sand, all these things are going to fall apart on you. But it's a it's a pretty heavy heavy question that you asked um, because there's so many components and so many factors and so many struggles that people have. Immediately, I think what drives most people is fear. So if you're a young guy, sure. you have a young family. Especially you, in the corporate world, you, too. You're going to fear, you. how can I feed my family? I need to make money. Um, and that's why, you know, trust is so important. But to get to that level of trust, you have to work to, with at your relationship with God. So it's like a catch-22. And, and the people I talk to say, look, you know, trust me. If you go a little deeper in your faith um, and start to build a relationship with God— that relationship will give you the strength necessary for you to persevere and and be able to deal with the tough times, because there's going to be tough times. Believe me, for sure. You know? Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, the tough times make it a little easier when you know that God is just with you mm. and and, um, 
as and even recognizing it within those tough times as we talked about before you know god's permissive will might be at work he might know that there's something better for you and you need this to get to there mm-hmm. you know yeah you need to go through whatever that is to kind yeah. of build you up for the other side right yeah i mean what, what helped what's helped me a little bit in that regard and I don't, i'm not suggesting i'm perfect at it by any stretch but is we have a lot of pressure of being of providing right yeah. especially men yeah. Uh, with kids of being the sort of provider. And I, I came to this, you know, a lot through my wife and God uses people, especially people close to us to kind of, you know, help, uh, you know, inform us and educate us. And the thing that she would always tell me is you're just cooperating with God, but God's the one who's providing. Mm-hmm. So you're not providing anything. He's <laughs> providing. You're cooperating. And it sounds kind of dumb, but that little pivot between me providing and me cooperating with Providence was like a huge pressure reliever yeah. for me, you yeah. know what I mean? Because I was like, Whew. and again, I forget this, I fall down constantly, yeah. you know, where I get stressed out. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we got to do X, Y, Z. But um, but it's been a helpful part of that. And it happens to be true, right? That w- we all exist because of God's providence, yeah. right? But it's what we do with the grace that we're given and how we cooperate with that mission that makes the difference. And you know, I just, uh, I'm very grateful for that kind of advice uh, from well, her. Me too. I was blessed with a very wise woman in my life. I mean, she was the one that kind of kicked me around and put me in the sure. like, go over there. You, you know, so yeah, it's beautiful. That's awesome. Well, we're going to include, Mario, all in the show notes, ways that people can get in touch with the Ray of Hope, check out some of the content that you guys are Great. doing, avail the new platform. Great. And just follow all the different things that you're doing. For my part, again, everything that I've learned about your work and Array of Hope, I'm, as a content and a media guy and, a, and kind of an advertising guy, um, you know, I'm super happy that you're out there and that you've got this, um, this apostolate and this great ministry, which is, you know, maybe in the current incarnation, like a social enterprise or whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's tackling... A, an issue and an opportunity that I think is really important to do right now, and that is creating this great story at the level of vibrancy, quality, mm-hmm. and beauty that it deserves. So I'm very happy that you and the team of Array of Hope are out there, and I would encourage everybody listening to this show to uh, avail themselves of your content, to share it with others, and let them know all about it. Great, great. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, you ready, to, you ready to play uh, Wait What then before you go? What is it? <laughs> exactly. That's correct. That's a great question. All right. Here we go, Mario. All right. Wait, what? So the first question is a fill-in-the-blank question. All right. Now, Mario, there's been millions of Catholic musicians. We know you're a musician. Been millions of Catholic musicians throughout history. Many of them have achieved broad-based success in contemporary times. People like Bruce Springsteen, Gwen Stefani, and even Lady Gaga all you know, claim their Catholic faith. Another Catholic musician who achieved great success is Aaron Neville the famous R&B singer who shot to stardom in the 60s with his iconic Tell It Like It Is great song. What many folks don't what many folks don't know is that Aaron has a particularly strong devotion to Saint Blank. Mm. And even wears a medal of this great saint as an earring in his left ear. Mario, what saint oh is it? Goodness, this is a guess. Um Monica. Oh, that's a great one. 
That's a great guess, actually. No, it's a little earlier. It's St. Jude. Oh. St. Okay. Jude. Apparently, he credited he's credited St. Jude for his success career-wise and even his own survival. Wow. And yeah, he wears the St. Jude's medal as a left ear. I noticed that. Yeah, wow. it's beautiful. Well, you got a lot of things to look at on Aaron Neville. You got face tattoos, <laughs> yeah. you got all kinds of stuff yeah. going on. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Question number two, Mario. Which of these is false? You gotta get this one. About your home state of New Jersey. Which is false about New Jersey? Is it A? New Jersey's official state song is I'm from New Jersey. Is it B, the very first modern submarine ride took place in New Jersey waters? Or is it C, more cars are stolen in New Jersey than any other place in the United States, which is false about New Jersey? What was the first one? The first one is the New Jersey's official state song is I'm from New Jersey. And I don't know what the, how the lyrics go, so I wouldn't know how to sing it. But I think I'm, it's the first one. And you are correct. It's false. New Jersey does not have an official state song. Ironically enough, most states do. They do not. Mm -hmm. So many people think it's this song. I'm from New Jersey, whatever that is. But it was never made the official state song. So you are correct. All right, bouncing back. Last question, Mario. Okay. And people who listen to the show all know there's always a time machine question. So here it goes. Mario, you get a chance to travel forward in time to Rome in the year 2156. Mm. All right. 130-odd years into the future. Now, you arrive in the internal city, and you quickly realize that the Catholic world is in what's called an interregnum period, which is basically the moment in between papacies, right? The Pope in 2156 has died peacefully in his sleep a month before, and the conclave of cardinals is about to meet to elect the next pontiff. In a first-ever occurrence, the Vatican has decided that they'll allow a documentary team inside the conclave to record the events of this election. It's never been done before. And you, Mario, are chosen as the director of that documentary. Mm. Do you accept the honor? And if so, how, Mario, would you approach that production? Wow. Wow. Um, well... Well, of course I would accept it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and how would I do it? <clears throat> well... I would, um, I would, I would start with just, uh, documenting, um, maybe six stories of cardinals mm. as they wake up in the morning, have their espresso. Oh, that's cool. Uh, putting on their vestments, having discussions in the piazza, you know, and get the backstory. Yeah, I know they're not allowed to talk about it. Hopefully that's still true a couple of year, hundred years from now. But yeah, just, you know, invoke, uh, you know, a really interesting scenario. And then as they then they'll, it'll end with all of them walking in to, you know, Sistine Chapel and then putting on their, you know, their their red vestments or whatever. What do you call those things? Which one? The, the hat? Yeah, the, the, the hat. But they have their 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 vestments. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, so it, the 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 buildup would be ninety percent of the film, mm. because everyone else kind of knows how they do it. They write it on the piece of paper, they sure. stick it in the thing. So and the white the, smoke. It's, it, it's the backstory. I would, I think, would be people would be most interested in and their lives and their discussions and talking about the soccer guys and, you know, and, and, and that's then, awesome. There's normally not follow up questions on wait what, but I have to ask you: um, Would it be cardinals from different parts of the world? Would that be that kind of idea? I think so. I think, you know, it's the universal church. It's, you know, it'd be interesting to have a cardinal from Africa, a cardinal from, you know, uh, maybe Ireland, uh, South America, 
you know beautiful um, yeah just like a you know and then kind of talking together and it'd be kind of interesting i love it well it means nothing but i would watch that documentary yeah. very very much hopefully i wouldn't be the only one give awesome give me the gig <laughs> i'm gonna try <laughs> let's see if i can make it to 2156 that'll be a miracle right there mm. mario great to have you on the show what a privilege thank you so much for stopping by My pleasure this is great if you're hearing our voice that means it's time to subscribe so please do share this episode with a friend maybe somebody who's in the world of production content maybe somebody living that kind of 30s corporate experience but that you know could do more or needs to draw closer to god share this episode with them we'll see you again next time on living the call if you enjoyed this episode of living the call please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review tell someone you love about the show and spread the word living the call is available on apple podcasts and spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts you can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-USA.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Kasten and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.